number 674. Please mark that, and we'll, again, use that later in the service this morning. Maybe it's fair to say what a joy it is to appreciate the spirited, thrilling singing in which we've already engaged today, in which, with the heart, songs are offered unto God, and hadn't it been delightful, encouraging, and so we're honored to be able to sing as we've done. Isn't it interesting that the first two of those songs were exactly patterned after verses of the Word of God? Faith is the victory, taken identically from 1 John 5, 4. And of course, do all in the name of the Lord, the very wording of Colossians 3, verse 17. I would maybe use just a brief moment, if I might, to remind you that this evening during the service, at least during the sermon part of it, we will be continuing the lesson we had begun last Sunday night, an overview of the Revelation. We covered the first 11 chapters last Sunday night. Tonight, we'll do the last 11 chapters of that book with the hope of merely putting the main matters of the chapters before us so that the beautiful message of the Revelation will, in fact, be very clear and very encouraging to us. But to the note for the lesson this morning, Bible heartburn. I'm sure when you and I think of the word heartburn, maybe the Bible doesn't first come to mind. Or maybe it perhaps could more easily be stated that likely our concern is on other matters besides the Bible. And yet, as this introductory slide will at least point out to you, I did choose to at least give you a definition of that typical medical condition of heartburn, but then we're quickly going to move into the Word of God. We understand the discomfort that comes with heartburn. We understand the kind of challenge that often goes with it. Quite frankly, it can be so severe, you see, that it can even be mistaken for a heart condition or something like that. But the fact is, probably all of us, or at least the vast majority of us, have experienced heartburn. We know a little bit about what that's like. But what about the Bible and heartburn? You might be kind of interested to know that there are 15 verses in the Bible in which both of those words occur. And quite frankly, many of them will not be matters of our concern this morning. But may I say that there are a handful of them that do in fact describe something that I'm going to use to liken to heartburn and something that should be a motivation for us. I truly hope that the next time you or I experience it, we might remember some of these things we'll learn today so that we could be better servants of the Lord. What about Bible heartburn? Now, as we do that, we're going to be looking at a few verses of the Word of God, so I hope you have your Bible available. And as we look at these, we're going to make an attachment, a connection, if you will, to the, to the consideration of heartburn, but do so connected to service to God. Let's do that starting in the following way. On this opening slide, would you turn with me to Psalm 39? The first of our passages that will bring us to this consideration will be connected to Psalm 39. Now that particular psalm has some 13 verses, and the first several of them will set before us the consideration of Bible heartburn. It begins like this, I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle, while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence, I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing and the fire while I was musing the fire burned, then spake I with my tongue. Lord make me to know mine end, 
and the measure of my days. What it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. At the close of verse 5, you may have noticed that David himself in the long ago made this interesting statement, My heart was hot. Doesn't that make you think of heartburn? In the recognition, though, David wasn't talking about having eaten something that disagreed with him. He was talking about an application, as you well noted, concerning his service to God. Let's rehearse a few of those verses and draw some lessons from them. I've summarized many of them on the slide before you. But it begins with this. Did you notice in verse number 1 that David highlighted the fact that he took great earnestness and great interest in sinning not with his tongue. May you and I begin by observing we can do a great deal of harm and a great deal of evil to the cause of good when we speak unadvisedly. We use our tongue in a way that's not befitting to godliness. Do you and I watch our language? I freely confess that surrounded by a world that typically gives very little heed to watching what they say, you and I can be tempted to fall into that way of thinking as well so that maybe we begin to think it doesn't really matter. Did you notice David said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. He even went so far as to say, I will keep my mouth with a bridle. Now, many of us can still well remember the operation of a mule where, or, or with a horse in which you would employ a bridle so that you could control that mule or horse, directing it into the way you wanted it to go. To plow left or right, to step left or right as the case may be, to stop or to proceed. David described the care with which he watched his tongue as a bridle. I wonder how much you and I do this. Are we as watchful as we ought to be relative to the language we use and how we use it? Sometimes it's not that we employ profanity. I trust no Christian would ever do that. But sometimes is it true that maybe we speak things in an unadvised way? We have a tone of unfriendliness or a tone of hatred rather than a tone of interest or love. The tones that we sometimes use led David to say this in verse 2. I was dumb with silence. He said, I just didn't say anything. Rather than speak something that may be out of line, I chose to say nothing. But then notice what he quickly concluded. Verse number 3. In this state, my heart was hot within me. There are things that need to be said. There are things, you see, that are becoming and worthwhile and fitted to be said. And therefore, David said, I don't need to stay quiet when there are things that should be said and I am capable of saying them. Isn't it true today? You and I may find ourselves in positions in which there are things that need to be said. The cause of God needs to be defended. The cause of truth needs to be buoyed upward. And if you and I stay silent... The cause of God may be run roughshod over. It is so, isn't it, that there's a lot of people in our world who say a lot against God. Sometimes maybe we don't say enough. 
we remain quiet too long and too extended. David said his heart was hot. He went on then to say this, My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I, when the fire was burning and he came to the realization of these things, then he said, I spoke. He spoke that which needed to be said. Notice with me what he said. Verse number 4, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days. What it is that I may know how frail I am. When he did speak, he began with these reflections. God, help me to understand the brevity of my days. Our sojourn on this earth is so brief, even at its best. Our time here is so well short. You may go ahead and go and notice verse number 5, in which he gives us a description of how short these days are. Behold, thou hast made my days as in hand breadth. We've often made reference to that illusion in the Word of God. You and I today, of course, have a ruler. We can pull it out and measure the length of a table or the length of a pole or the length of a beam, and it's easy to ascertain its length. The people in the ancient day also needed the measurement of things, but they didn't have easy access to rulers like we do. So they had developed the capability of measuring things using connections to the parts of the body. And so, a fathom was a typical length from the elbow to the extended middle finger. And so you could lay that down and gain a quick appreciation of at least the rough length of something. But by the same token, a hand breadth was the width from the end of the hand on one side to the thumb on the other. And you could lay that down and thus ascertain the length. But you might take note that the hand breadth was quite a bit shorter than the fathom. And it was quite a bit shorter than the furlong. And it was typically one of the shortest of the measurements. Did you know? David said, you've made my life like a hand breath. So very short. The wording especially looks like this. David affirmed, you've made me to know how frail I am. Can't accidents happen so easily, so quickly, so unexpectedly? And your life and mine may soon take a very different turn than what it once had known. When David did begin to speak, the first thing he uttered, You have helped me to know. You've made me to know how short my life is and how uncertain it is even at that. Bible heartburn. May I suggest that one of the things you and I in wisdom would also appreciate is ever keeping in mind the nature, I'm sorry, the nature of what goes with heartburn like this. Because if we have this kind of heartburn, we will have a motivation and an incentive to live godly. It'll always keep us on track, you see, with the kind of life we ought to be living for the Lord. This kind of heartburn would lead to a disturbed conscience if we fail it, if we move aside from it. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide, Jesus, too, has even in the New Testament reminded us about the care that should be exhibited with regard to our language. In Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37, the Master Himself declared that on that great and notable judgment day, we shall be judged by the language we've used. I wonder how that's going to turn out for you and me. 
may I encourage each of us, just as the Bible does, to watch with care the language we use. At that point, this opening matter of Bible heartburn maybe asks us about another. What about another passage that speaks about this? The next one is the one taken from the lesson text that was read in our hearing earlier. Would you please be turning to Jeremiah 20? In that book of Jeremiah, let me take just a few moments and share a bit of the background of this passage. I've even highlighted it on the slide before you, and then we will again make some applications to us. Jeremiah was a bold prophet of the God of heaven. He did labor at a very difficult time in a circumstance in which the forces directed against God were so very many, and sadly enough, they were from within the people of Israel. The very people that you might have thought would be the greatest servants of God had turned their back by and large upon Him. In the midst of those kind of people who were stubborn, who were hard-hearted, who were rebellious, Jeremiah was commissioned by God to preach, to proclaim, to urge repentance. As you come to chapter number 19, Jeremiah preached a particularly potent sermon. It was a sermon in which he laid bare before the people the fact that this nation shall become desolate because of your sins. Because of your iniquity, you have turned your back upon the God of heaven, and for that, He, in fact, will allow you to be taken captive by an enemy nation known as Babylon. As that sermon was preached, needless to say, the people didn't like to hear it. They didn't have much interest in hearing it. And so as chapter number 20 begins, a man named Pasher, P-A-S-H-U-R, he slaps Jeremiah on the face. says, we don't want to hear this. What would you think about that? Someone gives you a good ringing across the jaw simply because you told them what the Bible says. Just because you set before them what the God of heaven declared and their inconsistency with it. May I suggest we have a great deal of respect for men like Jeremiah who, though they labored in such a distant past, they did so with an earnestness of heart and with a dedication of spirit that truly was highly commended. After being slapped, Pasher wasn't done. Allow me to read to you what else he did, verse 2 of Jeremiah 20. Then Pasher smote Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord." I'm sure each of us have envisioned the ancient stocks where your hands were fastened basically in an element in wood and your feet were done the same. The stocks that Jeremiah was put in were right there beside the temple so everybody could see him. He was a public spectacle. He had been made basically a laughing stock by Pasher and by the forces that were with him. How would you react to being treated that way? Would your faith and mine be sufficient that we'd still be faithful even under those kind of experiences? Let's see what Jeremiah did. As you slide forward to verse number 9, Jeremiah said, Then I said, 
I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. So at least for a moment, Jeremiah became so discouraged, he became sufficiently downhearted. He said, all right, I'll quit preaching. I've had enough. But that state of mind didn't last very long. Let's finish the verse. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Upon quick reflection of the matter, Jeremiah, notice it says, My heart began to burn within me. Another case of spiritual heartburn. But again, it wasn't because of what he had eaten. It wasn't because of something else along that line. It was because of the fact he had been quiet, or at least he had pondered being quiet, and he says, I can't do it. The Word of God means more to me than that. Truth of the Lord and connection with Him and being faithful to Him means more to me than this. Could it well be that in this instance we might well reflect upon the Apostle Paul, a New Testament example of something like it, Paul himself was imprisoned because of his faith in the Lord. He found himself in chains and in bonds, Philippians 1 verses 4 and following, because of his commitment to Jesus Christ. And yet Paul said, I won't quit preaching it either. He had spiritual heartburn. May I ask, do you and I have it? Does our relationship to Jesus mean everything? Does our reliance on the Bible mean everything? Even imprisonment? Even duress in life? Even unpleasant circumstances, be they far more than inconvenience? Jeremiah said, My heart began to burn within me. And it was motivated by His Word. So maybe one last thing we could ask. Does the truth of God mean everything to you and me? Would we die for it? Would you die for it? The book of Revelation, as we shall see tonight, describes a group of people who did die for it. And in Revelation 20, how highly and majestically lifted they were because what they gave up in this life, they got far more hereafter. But you see, if we choose to give up God in this life, what do we have hereafter? Bible heartburn. causes one to be challenged, doesn't it? And it motivates all of us in the realization of what are the basic priorities of life. One last thing about that slide. The wording that Jeremiah used, so very powerful. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. In many of the chapters that follow, Jeremiah will again preach with such power. Some of the greatest of the, all the Old Testament sermons are found in Jeremiah. And so indeed, he didn't stay quiet very long. He went back to pre preaching and proclaiming just as God had commissioned him to do it. May you and I again have spiritual heartburn if it's like Jeremiah's. May we appreciate again that just as was the case with David, and now the case with Jeremiah, a case of spiritual heartburn is good for us. What about case three? Another instance of Bible heartburn. This one too. Found in the Old Testament, but would you journey with me to the book of Hosea? The first of the minor prophets, and it'll be to chapter seven that we shall go. 
In Hosea chapter 7, we again need but a couple of verses. As we do so, again, may I begin with a bit of introduction, very briefly, obviously. The book of Hosea was written to the northern kingdom. They, of course, had chosen to follow idols, and they had by and large chosen to not follow the God of heaven. God sent prophets to them to urge them and warn them. Hosea was one of those prophets. Allow me to begin reading in verse 1. When I would have healed Israel, this is God saying, when I would have healed them, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered, and the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood. And the thief cometh in, and the troop of robbers spoileth without. And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. Let's pause long enough to notice the people of the northern kingdom had reached the point they didn't think God was aware of their wickedness. They didn't think God saw them. God said, guess what? I know very well what you're doing. I know very well what you have done. And I know very well what the intents of your heart are. God says you can't hide from me. Proverbs 15.3 will summarize it like this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. So they were mistaken in thinking that God didn't see them. But now let's proceed to verse 7. They all are hot as an oven, and have devoured their judges. All their kings are fallen. There is none among them that calleth unto me. They were hot, all right, but it wasn't hot for anything good. Take note, it's entirely possible for a person to be zealous and passionate for what's evil. There are a lot of people in our world today like that, aren't they? They use both hands to work evil. It's not enough for them to do evil with one hand, they've got to use two. That's how passionate they are about ungodliness. They work evil with both hands earnestly. That's the very passage I invited you to notice in Zephaniah 3, 7. In Isaiah 30, verses 1 and 2, God described a people who themselves did sin unto sin. Wasn't enough to do a little sin. They did sin with the intent of more sin. That's tragic. And that's sad to be motivated like this. In Micah 7, verses 3 and 4, God says, This people's like a briar. Now, you and I don't think much of briars. They hurt, they stick you, they get in your way. God says, This people's like that because when it comes to pursuing my way, they're like briars. They're nothing but obstacles and impediments. They offer nothing but resistance, and it's painful at that. Oh, how you and I don't need to be like this. And may we pray that our nation won't be like this. Isn't it fascinating to think about language that we have now found in Hosea? Let's bring in the heartburn. Go back to verse 6. Verses 6 and 7. For they have made ready their heart like an oven. Whiles they lie in wait, their baker sleepeth all the night. In the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. Do you appreciate the imagery? 
you know, back in that day, they didn't have electric ovens like you and I enjoy. The only oven you had was one you'd stoke a fire underneath it, and thus you would cook then what was needed to be cooked. Well, notice the impression is given as of people who stoked the fire but then went to sleep. And over the course of the night, the fire got out of control and burned down the place. They're passionate for evil. You see, their heart is hot in the wrong way. This is not good heartburn here. It's heartburn directed in a way that's wrong. I think one of the most interesting analogies in all of Hosea is in the next verse. Look at verse 8 with me. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. A cake not turned. Picture it with me. You put your cake or your dough in the particular oven, but you don't ever turn it over. So it's burned on one side and raw on the other one. What do you think about that? It's good for nothing. You can't eat the bottom, it's burnt. You can't eat the top, it's raw. Ephraim is a cake not turned. They have given themselves over to pursue what's evil. They've given themselves over with a heart that's hot to pursue ungodliness, but they won't turn to me. Sometimes there are people like that today, as you and I know. And again, it's so sad because God has the answer. God has the proper direction and course of life. The heartburn we've seen in Jeremiah... And the heartburn that we've seen in David and now in Hosea is a heartburn that perhaps motivates us to ask, are there any New Testament examples? Places in the New Testament that also challenge us with Bible heartburn. I'm sure you've already thought about the one to which I'll turn your attention as we close our lesson. The closing chapter of Luke. Would you turn with me to Luke 24 as we look at some Bible heartburn in this place? It'll be a heartburn that'll be very motivational yet one more time. It shall begin like this. Jesus, our Savior, had already been crucified by this time. He had been put to death in a very painful way on the cross, but He had already been resurrected as well. In that resurrection, it brings us to this interesting case. You may notice with me beginning in verse number 13, We'll read a few of the verses, and it reads like this. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know Him. The Master had been resurrected, and He had appeared, you know, to, to a number of His disciples. In this case, there were two of those disciples that were walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. As they walked that distance, they were talking about the events that had just transpired in Jerusalem. You ask, what events? Events like these, putting Jesus to death. There were some who regarded Him as a prophet. Others regarded Him as the Messiah. And as these two walked on the road, they asked, What about these events? What do you think about it? What's your impression of it? As they talked, walking by the way, Jesus appeared to them. But they didn't know who He was. The text says in verse 16, Their eyes were holding. 
maybe they appreciated the company of a third person walking. Maybe they enjoyed the conversation so that the person could hear, but they did not know it was Jesus. I'm sure many of us have often wondered, wouldn't you have enjoyed being a part of that conversation? What were some of the things Jesus said to them? Let me highlight a few of the verses. Look at verse number 25. After Jesus had heard some of the things they said, then He said, Then He said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into His glory? Jesus quickly said, It's foolish to not appreciate it that He was the Son of God, the one that they crucified. He was the Messiah. And He said the Old Testament prophets declared it. Look at the next verse. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Can you imagine what that must have been like? As the Son of God Himself opened verse after verse and said, that's speaking of Jesus. That's speaking of the Christ. That's speaking of what was just what you just talked about that happened a few days ago. He began at Moses and through the prophets expounded to them all the things concerning Himself. I wonder how those two reacted when Jesus got done. Could I direct your attention to verse 31? And their eyes were opened, and they knew Him, and He vanished out of their sight. After speaking with them and sharing with them and using the Word of God to encourage them, suddenly their eyes were opened. They knew that it was the Son of God, the one that had just been crucified not many days earlier. And at that point, I'm sure they would have had other questions, but He vanished out of their sight. What did they do next? Look at the next verse. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? While He opened, while he talked with us by the way, and while He opened to us the Scriptures. Some more Bible heartburn. These two confessed, Our heart burned within us while He shared with us the Word of God. While He talked with us by the way while He opened to us the Scripture. What about this instance of Bible heartburn? Doesn't it challenge us with this thought? Does your heart and mind burn in regard to the Word of God? I noticed that we had noted earlier in the lesson the significance of the Bible and the appreciation that it should have for us. But as various pieces of its truth are revealed to us, Notice how their heart burned within them. I'm sure that there were many instances in that conversation when Jesus made reference to something in the life of Moses or something in the life of maybe even Abraham or David or the other prophets later in the Old Testament. And those two, for a new, saw something they'd never seen before. They appreciated some truth that though they had read it, no doubt, previously they had never understood it that way. Their heart burned within them with excitement, with intrigue, with thanksgiving, with appreciation because the truth had been set forth. I ask that like this. How do you and I react when a new nugget of truth we come to appreciate and realize? 
when in the course of a Bible class or perhaps a sermon, some element of truth from a verse that maybe has been read dozens of times in life, suddenly a new perspective that ushers in a whole new appreciation. Does our heart burn with us when that kind of thing happens? I pray that it does. Because again, it just boils up within us a whole new desire to use the Word of God, to learn that Word of God, and to live in accordance to it. These instances today of Bible heartburn, as you by now well know, bear very little connection to the actual heartburn physically that we often experience. But I thought that the lesson could be a very powerful motivation for us for the following ways. I've summarized the four instances of Bible heartburn on that slide. Jeremiah's heart burned and he couldn't quit. May I say, don't ever give up on Christianity. Regardless what the challenges or difficulties may be, be they from within, be they from without, don't ever quit. Don't ever give up. Jeremiah couldn't. And oh, what a blessing he was to the people of his day because of it. But not only that, David said his heart burned within him, and he had a new appreciation of the brevity and uncertainty of life. May we appreciate the same. We notice that Hosea had some heartburn, related in this instance to the sadness with which God's people were so rebellious. I know our heart will be sad because often there are those in our connections and communications and acquaintances, they too won't do what's right because they're motivated to do what's evil. Finally, these two disciples in Luke 24, they had some heartburn. This time, it was over the thankfulness and the appreciation of the truths and the Word of God, how that they were revealed and exquisitely presented. Today, as you and I analyze our life, are you a faithful New Testament Christian? Am I? If so, may we continue to live that way with a heart burning for truth. But if you're not a faithful New Testament Christian today, it might be that you've never become one. But I hope after this lesson and the Word of God, maybe your heart has begun to burn in realization of how frail your life is and that you need to make sure you're right with God. We could help in just a few minutes take care of that need. You need to believe in Jesus with all of your heart, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. We could help take care of that in a matter of minutes. If you have known the faithfulness in life, but you've come to a time when that faithfulness is at best a distant memory, you aren't living the way God would have you to, and you know it, and maybe others around you know it, why not make it right today, the fifth day of December 2021, a day that could for all eternity be different than what it formerly was. You need to make confession of those errors, repent of them. As you do that, the God of heaven's promised to forgive you, 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. Today, if we could be of some assistance and help in those ways, we'd be delighted to do it. And therefore, we invite you to come while together we stand and sing.